0: So welcome to episode number 81 of The Space In Between. And today we're going to be sitting with Eric Starr, a musician who, uh, yeah, we got to sit and chat on Zoom. And man, I have to say it's been really special to be able to connect with people. This was through Zoom and to share these, these stories, these interviews with you all. You know, when we first started out, my intention was to only do it in person but then you know so there was this more intimate connection and then with the pandemic you know we had to move things over to zoom and it's been such a gift to be able to sit with people and and schedule these a little bit more regularly so yeah and and a lot of men too it's been interesting I've been having all these men coming in and hearing their voices from lots of different places and backgrounds so it's been a gift these past few weeks to share Share their voice with you. Um, but yes, before we sit with Eric today, a couple of things happening in Nomadland. Still, we have our classes that are happening every morning, our morning rituals at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, and I will be hosting all of the classes this week, so I'll be leading my Movement 109 practice on Tuesday and Thursday, a yoga class on Wednesday, and a free meditation on Friday. They're all happening over at Zoom. You can visit nomadalwaysathome.com to find out more, to join in. It's, again, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. So please come on by. I would love to see you, meet you, and all that. And what else is happening here in Nomadland? I am starting a five-week series, or sorry, a six-week series with five amazing human beings next week. Uh, it's already closed. It's a, It's a private group, but I am hoping that we can share a little bit as we go through the podcast in some way. Uh, because it's it's a really special a really special group it's who are we becoming our healing journey and we'll be working one-on-one and then collectively on on our own personal traumas as well as within the group our generational institutional and 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 collective trauma so I felt that it was really necessary with all that's happening in the world right now and we're all feeling triggers of trauma and grief and and, and I've been doing all of this studying and experiencing my own healing journey, and I thought, oh, we need a gift for this world. And so this six-week course is my gift to this world and to this group. And so I'm definitely hoping to offer it. I know I will be offering it in the future too. So if you're interested, reach out to me. Let me know. I can, I can give you more information as it comes about with future dates. But there's also more information over at my website, phoebeleona.com. And you can find out what it all entails there, if you want to be a part of it. It's a small, diverse group. And what else is happening? If you're in the Hudson Valley, save the date, Sundays starting in July, we will be doing an outdoor yoga series at Stonegate Farm. More more, information is coming out very soon. And I think that's about it. So let's go ahead and sit with Eric. All right. So I am here in Zoom land with Eric Starr, and we actually have never met. And I seem to have, be having a lot of these lately of kind of this virtual connection. We met um, on Facebook. The one, uh, another good reason why Facebook should, should exist <laughs> is that it connects us so we became friends i think because we were in the same local community in the hudson valley and i probably just we had mutual friends i'm not quite sure the reason why we were directly connected but we did that
1: but (laughs) what's that it just happened
0: it just happened and then you wrote me a really lovely message and we started to correspond um, on lots of different things so And this is our first time, yeah, sitting here together and and sharing time and space in in this in this way. So, thank you. Thanks for reaching out and starting this. And
1: thank you for having me. Again, it's it's an honor. It really is.
0: Yeah, and so um, the little bit I know of you is that you are a musician. And uh, you are you started in the jazz world, and then you correct, yeah, and then it evolved into something else. Do you want to share a little bit?
1: Sure. Well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, um, a a little suburb of of Buffalo, New York, and a a musical family uh, on both sides of the family. My my father, um, who's still living, he's a, um, a jazz trumpeter, and he used to. Ah, uh, perform all over the country and even internationally with different big bands. Um, he He played with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Okay. and um, And then on my mother's side of the family, uh, my uncle Charles, we call him Chuck. He uh, also is a professional jazz pianist. And so at family gatherings, it was all music all the time. my mom is a school teacher, a lovely, beautiful person. And she was always caught in the middle between arguments about music, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I was raised to sort of almost like just uh, in this in this environment. I was raised to believe that music is sort of the center of the universe. Um, when I was a child, that's what I thought, um, and particularly um, jazz, um, because my my dad was that was what he specialized in. Was jazz music, and so I grew up thinking, and I still believe this, that you know artists like Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and um, and many others, Count Basie, that these were the the, the greatest musical minds in in America, and um, the, you know these were almost like gods to me when I was a little boy, um, <laughs> and. Um, and, and then you know I branched out from there eventually. My father had me taking music lessons at a very young age. Um, sometimes I didn't like that um, I, when other children my age were playing street hockey and riding their bikes around, I was practicing the glockenspiel <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you know I had several teachers I think. Uh, age six was my first um, i started with my first teacher and from there um, i uh, eventually started piano lessons um, and then began studying classical percussion um, as well uh, branching away from jazz and my my older brother who uh, I, who to me is one of the most talented musicians in the world he was still is a wonderful jazz pianist but also he was really interested in rock music and so he was pushing us to start a rock band And so we did that too um, but I you know I was a member of the music union by age 16 and putting on tuxedos and playing everything from um, weddings to um, other corporate events, to more you know formal things like playing with symphony orchestras, um, pit orchestras for uh, the the no longer existing uh, Buffalo Opera Company, and the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra. And then I went to school um, for music as well. I later went back and got an English degree. Okay, so a to a University of Buffalo. Okay. And then I moved when I was 28 to Manhattan to, um, pursue music, you know, like so many people do, um, and, uh, lived there for nine years and then came up to the Hudson Valley and here I am.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We have
1: timeline.
0: What's that? That's your timeline. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting because I I have a similar background in that I, I too was raised, um, my grandfather was a musician. Um, And so the art, arts in general were just in my, in my family. And I was that girl who, yeah, as my friends were playing outside, I was in ballet and wearing the tights and yeah, going to rehearsals from this studio to that studio to the musicals and all that. So I I can relate to that. You were in green. What's that?
1: Greece. Yeah.
0: Had... Yes, I was in Greece. I was Sandy. <laughs> yeah. I've,
1: I've done that musical, but in the you know the the band, not not on stage. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. It's just it's just such an interesting world. When I don't know, it sounds like you've been immersed in the the world of the arts your whole life, and and I definitely was, and and then I in my adulthood I've kind of gone out of it and then come back into it in various ways. Uh, and it's just interesting to come back into it and just feel so much at home. You mm-hmm. know, it's not something that you can really, unless somebody has experienced, experienced it. I don't know if they can fully understand the lifestyle of it. Does that make sense to you?
1: It is a lifestyle and it's a, it's a kind of a subculture being, yeah. in the art. Um, yeah. but I, I think, I think that um, being in the arts, it certainly has its downsides. Um, the, the obvious thing is that it, sometimes it's it's difficult to struggle to to make a good living. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've been lucky in the sense that I've I've always sort of done okay. I've never you know really really struggled uh, in in that particular way.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think. You know, I think you mentioned this once. Artists are very attuned to all things around them
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because it's it's in our nature to to believe in the power of magical thinking and mm-hmm. to have overflowing imaginations and you know very right-brained creative minds um, and uh, although I think music engages both lobes yeah. Um, but nonetheless, um, so yeah, it, we're, I think if you're a lifer like me, you know, music is my life. Um, it's it's a unique group of you know unique unique little society of people that that um, I exist within. That's not to say though that I want to live in some insular world because the whole thrust of my life is to take whatever talents or whatever gifts I may possess humbly and share them with all people and hope that I receive back information and feedback that makes me a better person as well. Yeah. Um, So.
0: And I think that jazz specifically is a, is a really beautiful art form to experience that because it's mostly, I mean, there's some sort of form structure, but there is a lot of improvisation of having to be, like you said, attuned with somebody else within your, your, within the the group, right? Within the band, but also within the audience and playing off of their energy too. And, and I, in so many ways, I, I, I'm sure you can relate to this. I feel like, that the art form whether it is music or dance but the arts it prepares you for the bigger scope of life and and kind of bringing it to where we are right now with COVID of how you know when people were having sort of this experience of freaking out that they didn't know what their next paycheck would look like or if it would come and I was thinking wow join the club (laughs) this has been our whole life as artists and and also in in the profession of healing and, and yoga and and all that, and, and how I didn't, it was the first time actually in my life that I didn't feel like I was going to freak out because I know I've had it so many other experiences prior of preparing myself for here.
1: <laughs>
0: Do you, can you relate to that in some way?
1: Um, I, you know, I always had safety valves. Um, yeah. I have a very loving family, and if things ever got really bad, I could, um, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't alone. and other physicians I know don't have that. Uh, Nonetheless, there have been times, I remember when I first moved to New York, and I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do this on my own, not come, you know, running back to my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I remember being really low on money, and it was really, really hot day, and just thinking, I don't even have enough money to buy a bag of rice or a bottle of water. Yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's now like um, you know, twenty years ago. But um, but I've had you know ebbs like that, and when I look back on things like that, it's helped me to grow. It really helps me to have some perspective, and I think um. So when COVID hit, for example, uh, I was worried um, about how how I would get on um, financially, um, but it really quickly that dissipated because I knew I had, had, I had experienced some rocky roads in the past and I knew I would find a way. Right in front of me, I have a quote that I, that I love by Emily Dickinson and it's the title of one of her poems and the quote is, I dwell in possibility. Mm. So whenever I'm feeling low, that's one of my, one of my go-to places is mm-hmm. that powerful statement. So, mm-hmm. you know, rather than it's, it would be easy to get negative sometimes and to think, well, and everything's bad. It, you know, I'm life is getting worse and worse and worse. And instead I want to always flip that narrative. I dwell in possibility, the possibility that, life can be beautiful and will be beautiful as long as i maintain that intent
0: yeah that is beautiful
1: you know
0: yeah
1: um yeah well go ahead no go uh, ahead. I, you know and in music music has, is is healing uh generally i i've been hurt by music i think too but <laughs> but but yeah. generally it's it's very healing yeah because it provides an opportunity to to communicate with yourself but even more importantly to connect to others and share ideas with others and i we're social creatures right uh, and we if we are if i'm feeling alone sitting uh you know in a tiny room and separated from the rest of humanity and from the planet that I live on, then I'm going to feel really low. I'm going to feel really depressed. But music is like this beautiful—I um, uh, don't want to say tool, but it's a beautiful opportunity. It's a to to reach out. Um, it it just quite naturally um, becomes an extension of how we feel. And if I think if we can share our feelings better, we tend to feel better mentally and physically in a somatic way, but also in a mental way, um, yeah. a spiritual way. Um, so music kind of covers all all of this for me. And when I'm writing music, it's, it's mostly silent time. Um, music of course is sound and silence, but the creation of music for me is largely silence. Mm. I, I'm literally, <laughs> sitting often with my eyes closed and I'm just listening to what I'm not it's a mystery I'm not listening to um, other music I want to be clear what I'm saying here Mm -hmm. I'm listening to the silence Mm -hmm. and I'm waiting and trying to just open like open the valve and I'm just waiting for ideas to come because i I think of the, the the process of writing music as not something that 's totally inside me, but something that 's outside of me and it's yeah. flowing into me. perhaps it 's that collective consciousness idea you know that we're all we 're all connected to one another, and it 's a very mysterious experience, really, yeah. but I embrace that and I embrace the mystery of it I embrace the that kind of um magical thinking um and and really that becomes the the basis of my own i suppose more secular spiritualism um but it's but it's a connection to all things um and that goes into in my 30s i was really almost uh, obsessive about reading as many books as possible about um native american culture out to um, some dis- different reservations of meeting people and their concept of life was so different from the Western model and really has a lot in common with Eastern thought as well. Um, it's a nature-based religion. Um, if, if, if we were to speak generally about all North American tribes, th- these are nature-based religions. So. Um, I see that and I see that in my music, my music. I never write a piece of music like opus one you know, work one or (laughs) simple titles. I want to always connect it to something. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, I, I consider what I do music as narrative. I'm trying to tell a story. Um, my most recent projects have a very explicit historical narrative. Um, and I mentioned uh, Vera Brittain to you. Yeah. In fact. And that, that I think, when I arrived at that particular project, that was the, um, the, to me, that feels like the apex of whatever powers I have as a composer, because I was able to move beyond my own ego and beyond the self, and instead embrace this this collective... For this collective consciousness or this force um that exists um you know the, there's a kind of a material world and there's an invisible world and i don't know what it all means but <laughs> i'm trying to be a, I, the more i just sit silently and ponder music and then s- see what comes to me the more i think i'm writing music that's much more authentic and genuine and um hopefully music that therefore then will be something that will, when when people hear it, that they will feel that a, a connection to it because it's not just me saying, here's me, I'm Eric, I, and I'm going to force some music upon you. It's not really my music. Yeah. It's just music that I think Robert Schumann said, uh, composing music is remembering a tune that no one else has heard. It, you were—I'm like recalling something that may be already out there, and it's sort of in all of our collective consciousness. But I'm just giving it shape and form.
0: Yeah, you're putting it into some sort of yeah form or words.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's not necessarily the, the way that, you know, most composers write. Yeah. Although, um, someone like Beethoven, uh, you know, used to go on long walks, loved thunderstorms, loved to be out in nature. And I think that inspired him. The impressionistic composers write about the sea and water. Um, so we're now dealing with elements and, and I think we see that the connection there Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm hoping that what I do is part of the great conversation of music, Uh, again, humbly. Whether my music is good or bad is is not really up to me to say. Um, My job is just to try and write the most authentic music um, and put it out there and hope that it's meaningful to others.
0: Yeah. You, so when you're speaking of the silence, I'm wondering if you have any sort of practice to get you to that place, or is it just, okay, I'm writing music now and I'm everybody be quiet. <laughs> what does that look like for you, Eric?
1: That's a great question because I, I think uh, many years ago, it was very difficult for me to, to just get in, sometimes musicians call it in the zone, Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, in order to get into that zone w- would require a lot of work, a lot of forcing it into in sort of creating an environment and forcing other things out. But then I realized that I can, um, I can sort of be in that zone at any time. And I think having children helped me to do that okay. because Children, and this is not a negative thing, but children require a lot of their parents. Um, We can't just say, okay, right now for the next half hour, you go do something else because I need to focus on my music. Mm -hmm. You know, there'll be distractions and interruptions. And we're, you know, we're constantly having to readjust. We're constantly doing that with young children. And um, I remember writing a book Um, I had to I had to write a book in six or seven weeks it was 350 pages long yeah for a company called Adams Media and I was hired to do this and I had a newborn baby so in order to write this music even though it was a little more clinical I still felt I needed to get in the zone as it were to really about music from, from that pr- deeply personal intimate perspective. And um, so I found that I, ha- I, I quite literally had to multitask better. I had to create part of my mind, part of my thinking that could tend to, to my newborn baby, but another part of my thinking that could always stay in this place of serenity, in this place of stillness and quietness. And I think over the years, now my oldest is 13, it's taken about a decade to really get there. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of multitask in this way. Now, ultimately, what I like to do is, um, if I really have the luxury of, of you know, just being on my own and not having any distractions, um, I generally like to, um, just sit down on the floor and close my eyes. I don't necessarily do a, a real formal meditative practice. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I will lie down as well, but not sleep. You know, just lie down. And uh, sometimes I will go on drives. Um, Neil Peart, the great author and drummer, um, s- said he believed in serenity in motion. And I love that too, sometimes just moving actually. And so what I start doing is I start downloading ideas. I see music as colors a lot. Um, I think of music in terms, of, I'm very visual with music. So um, I'm either imagining something or I'm getting out into the world and experiencing something like nature. And I'm kind of downloading, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. I'm I downloading things. And then I have eventually, I have all kinds of different ideas. Um, and I, I see the keyboard visually, like if I, if I just kind of stare at a blank wall, I can kind of see um, the piano keyboard in front of me and notes lighting up. I can imagine my fingers pl- grabbing certain chords, certain intervals. Um, so again, it's very visual. And I start to download different ideas just by trying to stay really open and really listening. Um, and then from there, uh, this is kind of a funny way to put it, but I feel like it's kind of a little bit like a birthing process, artistically <laughs> speaking. Yeah. I, I won't write anything until it tells me it's ready to come, come forth, to come yeah. out.
0: You won't physically write notes on a paper until then. Is that what you're saying? Okay.
1: So I just, I, I hold, I kind of, I, I wait. You know, again, I'm listening uh, for some inner voice to tell me, okay, now is the time. And then when that moment finally comes, it usually comes spilling out very fast.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so most of the pieces I write, even longer pieces, um, the actual specific task of writing the music down and putting it on paper or putting it into music, uh, score writing software, uh, usually happens pretty quickly within two to three weeks. Yeah. But the lead up to that might be um, months or, you know, six, eight weeks or something, you know. So it, de- it depends on the piece and on the project.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I just love hearing you speak of how, you know, you had to, you have to have this process. There's like an ideal situation process, but then you also have found this way to integrate it into your life. And I often share that uh, through my, my yoga teaching. Uh, I, you know, I lead a lot of teacher trainings and, and, and that's a lot. What I talk about is yes, in a perfect world, we'd have an hour to meditate and, you know, it be in this isolated spot, but that's the reality is that we don't have that. And how it is about that integration of having to multitask in, in the sense of doing doing and being in the same space, and that's beautiful that you've kind of found that through your own process. And I, I just love hearing your process too, because you know, being around a lot of musicians um, growing up, and then being married to one, and and then just also the arts in general. Uh, so we all have such different processes. Yes. And it's so beautiful to see how everyone has this different way in. Uh, but there is always, there always seems to be that moment of that inner voice of, is it time? And then we wait for that answer. Yes. And then it comes, it comes together in some way.
1: Yeah. it It's, um, I keep coming back to this word. It is, it is a little bit mysterious. Yeah. Don't, And I accept that. Um, When I, I've, I'm lucky because the type of writing that I do, um, I sort of have my own timeline for it. Um, I have done some composing where I was asked to write something, you know, and they'll say, basically now, write it now, because we're paying you to do this. Yeah. That's never my, um, you know, that's never the environment I really want to write in. See, I, I, I teach a lot of music, and I've, I've been very careful to, now that I'm a little older, be selective in terms of my relationship with music. Um, there have been times along along the road where I felt alienated from music. And actually, there have been times where I've, I've thought, well, I don't really want to have anything to do with music because it didn't feel like it was in a... It, like, how do I say this? I didn't feel that I was on the... The, the right um, the red road as the as the Lakota would say, which is where music is is a, a healthy pursuit. Um, it felt like something I was. People would sort of push me into different corners and say, "Well, do this now, do that now," or um, I would do something strictly for money, and I don't want to be a craftsman. I want to be an artist, and that's what I'm happiest. Um, and so I started to gradually. Make the determination that if i 'm going to be a musician, it has to be on my terms. Um, I really have to feel comfortable with what i 'm doing and feel passionate about what i 'm doing. Um, i don't know there's to me there's no point in doing something that's going to make you miserable, and that's where you know music music can be turned into a slog, you know, something, oh, like, oh, gosh, I have to do this now, <laughs> and then then it loses all its power.
0: Yeah, and the mystery.
1: And the mystery, but then if I can reclaim music on my own terms and say, you know, sometimes I have to say to people, no, you know, I'm not interested in that, um, yeah. with, with a breath of kindness, always, you know, gentle kindness, um, but again, to m- make sure that the, the path I'm on is allowing music to flow naturally from me. I love the word flow. That's really important to me. It's part of the energy of music, the, the vibration of music is that it has to flow. And if, it's, if, if there's blockages in there, it's usually because I found myself in a situation that's, that's an unhappy one. Perhaps working with um, musicians who are difficult personalities or, um, or, or you know, taking music and sidestepping the concept of music as art, uh, which is connected to the soul and the spirit of who we are, but instead music is commerce. I don't like to think of music as commerce, mm-hmm. music as a brand um, or a product. You know, I've, I've made recordings and had managers over the years and uh, agents and people who are Part of the, strictly part of the business of music. And they, they turn it almost solely into commerce. And that's when I become disinterested in music. And so, you know, along the way, I've learned lessons. How can I find a balance? It would be great to um, reap some financial reward for my music. But I, and this, I may be in the minority, but ultimately, music is too sacred and precious to me to just do it for the money i have to do it because um because i love what i'm doing
0: i agree Uh, and when you were saying that i was just thinking how you are in this space you have over the years reclaimed you actually said that in a message uh, previous and i was curious to hear more about that so i'm glad that you brought it up is yeah reclaiming music on your own terms and when you were speaking of that I'm almost thinking do we need to do that collectively claim music on our own terms because it has an art in general is just it, it is always driven by money and I'm I was even thinking it sounds like we have a similar timeline of being in, in New York City and how when I first got there there was so much possibility and hope and you know is this like I was younger I was um 21 or 22 when I got there but I had just it seemed like there was so much possibility and and there was so much happening and then by the time I left it felt like all of my dance studios and companies were shutting down because uh, a drugstore was being built there or a bank was being built there and um, it almost felt like collectively it was all turning into commerce or bust right yeah and so i'm wondering how you feel about that as a collective like all of us reclaiming the arts
1: well i think we need to especially now to put it a little bit in the context of what's happening in the world um the more we accept life as being this shallow existence based on you know only you know seeking the dollar or seeking to impress others. Um, and I think the two are sometimes related. Um, seeking to um, to deal with our own insecurities by um, creating a false sense of who we are based on material items, based on big houses and the acquisition of money and uh, and aren't I cool and great because I have all of this stuff. I see, I think that's anathema to true growth. And I think that's anathema to society. Um, and I think it's anathema to, to the idea of uh, connecting with others. Um, to, again, to use a, a Lakota term, um, Uh, how do i say it i'm bad at pronouncing this it's
0: okay we won't fact check you
1: (laughs) say it right which means all my relatives all my relatives
0: relatives.
1: okay that really means you know the relationship you have to all creatures all the earth to everything to the universe and i proceed in that way some people might sort of you know say that's you know silly But, so music can be a part of that. Um, Oluwan is the term for music, and they talk about the sacred hoop and the medicine wheel. Mm -hmm. And music can be part of healing, it can be a part of connecting, it can be a part of community. Um, And music crosses all racial boundaries.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, It it brings together um, people of all kinds, all different ethnic backgrounds, Um, atheists religious people everything in and and I think art in general has that capacity and that's the power of of the arts Um, it also helps us to um, I would argue help us to be more compassionate towards others because I don't know can you really create art, true art if you're not feeling love in your heart I I just don't know I don't know of music that was created based on hatred um yeah. there is there is music out there yes that that may be very angry but isn't
0: angry. it i'd like to argue that but isn't it because there's a lack of the the love that they're yearning for in some respect
1: that yes i think that could be the case yeah. uh, but it's but it comes back to seeking love or wanting love yeah. You know, um, uh, I I tend to think that most angry music is not hateful music. Um, There may be true propagandist music out there that is hateful, Mm. Um, but I wouldn't recognize that really probably, at least by my own personal definition, as as great artistic statements. Angry music is, is I think, behind anger usually is sadness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that sadness is the desire to be loved and to share in a, in a relationship with others that is loving. I think, my, it's just my opinion, but I think at the heart of everything, all people do seek to be loved. Mm-hmm. And music and art is really ultimately the extension of that.
0: I agree. Yeah. And when you were just saying that about sad sadness and anger, I think that they do go hand in hand. It's just that anger is a louder expression of the sadness, right? I think that to bring it to where we are right now, collectively, um, I've been talking a lot about our bodies and, and and the pain that we feel in our body. If you look at that as, as that as an example and how our body is sending us messages and if we're not listening to it, it, the pain just gets louder. Right. And so we can think of that as what we're feeling now is the anger. And that's just because there's been so much sorrow and sadness underneath it all for so long that it's just getting louder and louder. And now it's, yeah, angry and screaming and rioting and we're experiencing it.
1: And and I think that's part of the, the process of, of living isn't it that we go we have to we have to feel a myriad of emotions and anger is legitimate um, i don 't think violence is legitimate expression mm-hmm. of that anger yeah. um, i'm you know I'm generally a, you know I, nonviolence is the way to um, always handle oneself right um so like we see looting going on and and i think that's a shame but anger is very real and and a natural expression of of our of who we are um sometimes i don't think it's the end stage though i think it's like the end stage is getting back to a place of of peace and balance Mm -hmm. within inner peace um, but we have to just be mad sometimes to get there, right? We can't, we can't say to ourselves, no, don't be angry. If, if uh, anyone has ever said to you when you're feeling really grumpy or angry about something, if they ever say to you, just smile, don't be angry. It makes you more angry, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah, but it has this natural arc. Yeah, anger has a natural arc that you have to get to the fullest expression of it so that you can come back down to that homeostasis.
1: Beautifully said. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly what I, w- I agree with that completely. Um, I, you know, thinking about society and injustice, um, and again, I come back to the American Indian history, which is a very sad one filled with genocide and all kinds of terrible things, forced sterilization of women, Boarding school experiences, which were um, torturous to children. Um, uh, And, you know, I guess the history of our country is riddled with a lot of very, very, very scary things and a lot of injustice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, I still seek solace in the power of love, that ultimately love helps us to find that balance and that equilibrium again. And I think we're seeing it uh, playing out when I watch the news now, I'm starting to see this the news stories shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. You had posted something that was a beautiful thing about soldiers laying down their shields. Yeah. And, and to me, those are moments I'm waiting for. That it, Those are radiant, luminous moments when we see people coming together and and, that's the light
0: yeah
1: here through the darkness
0: yeah and just remembering that we are all one we are all the same exactly. whatever the uniform is or whatever the color of skin is that yeah
1: we're all one. and that I, you know when i think about an education i wish that that was being taught more yeah. um i don't think that that's a dogmatic concept um, I, I think that the, we are you know if we look at ecology just that alone we see that we are all completely related to one another um, yeah. but on every level I think we're, we're really we're really um, we're just one um, and I that's something I'd like to explore in my music um, as something I would like to explore um, in my life, with my relationship with my children, with my friends, with everyone, the concept that we are all one. Um, And uh, we may feel that we kind of have this, um, that we're lonely and put upon sometimes and we're isolated from others. But the act of meditating and really getting into that quiet space where we're listening, it's interesting what, what thoughts start to flow into into us, yeah. and to me, what the the very the thing that I notice instantly is that I feel connected to others, um, both past and present. I feel connected to to all to all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. That's that's the um, meaning of life to me is is to be connected to others and to always, um, sometimes uh, maybe not work at it, but just keep that valve open. Always stay in a state of flow where we can be flowing positive energy of light out to others rather than dark, vampiric energy, you know? And, um, and I think when we do that, it's, it comes back, we receive, which is another concept I have, I really, I'm happiest when I'm in the service of others. Um, and and in, a, in a kind of an unconditional way, right? It's not like you don't expect anything back, but you do receive something back naturally, right? Yeah. Um, so when I work with my students, for example, um, the first rule is do no harm, you know, but it doesn't end there. Um, how can I just be of service to them in everything I do? I always tell them, if, they're, if we're having a music lesson, if the music lesson ends and two days later they're confused or they're feeling stressed about something, contact me and we'll go over it again. We'll spend time t- together discussing it and reviewing things together. Because I, you know I, I like to think of that relationship as a team. We're working together it's not me saying, okay, do this now, and Mm -hmm. creating that hierarchical um, relationship, but we're a team, we're connected, and in a sense, we're one, you know, Um, if you succeed, then I succeed, right, and I I think that extends to all of us, right, if you, Phoebe, succeed, then I can succeed, yeah, Um, if if I can extend love your way, I will receive it back, it's like, that's the, the the circle that um, again Native Americans often speak of.
0: Yeah. Okay. There's a lot there. I'm going to try to touch on all of it. <laughs> well, you were what you. I'll just start where, where you just left off and and the connection. And I'm just thinking about why again p- the performance art. I'm going to focus more on the performance art more than just art in general because I think that a lot of visual arts they're in their own isolated place creating art but with music and with dance and in theater specifically you have to be co- you you are very well aware of that co-creation and that like the words that you were saying as a team like you if your student is succeeding then you're succeeding in some way you you guys are working together and you're instilling that in them already even though they might not be playing in a band yet you're you're instilling that that team working, you know, that co-creation, and I think that is a gift, and and to bring it back into, you know, what, how it's being, how it could be taught in schools, is to emphasize, you know, the arts again, you know, having band, and having, mus- you know, musical theater, and theater, and, and dance within the school system, so that they can understand that, how we are co-creating, because it's different from playing, I was thinking, is this the same as teams, but there's always somebody who wins and loses, but in music, and theater we're always winning to a certain extent right or if if, yeah there's one person who is sort of having an off day in the music we're all kind of suffering and it's not a way of you know you did this wrong it was just oh how can we lift us all up again for the next time or whatever
1: right yeah I I for me, theater and music are relate pretty much related i i I was a playwright um i did s- dabble in that okay. and when I would create characters to me it was the same act of creation as creating music and um, it, it, and there 's a sense of co creation when you 're working with actors uh so i i think yeah all arts in the school, but particularly the performing arts, it not only encourages people to work together, um, but it, um, it it has lessons that extend past the arts themselves. It mm-hmm. teaches democracy, it mm-hmm. teaches compromise, it teaches um, uh, critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills. It, it's great brain food, you know. It, it engages both sides of the brain, our practical, more analytical side, and of course a very creative side. Um, and it, you know, it encourages love. I mean, when, when a band is happy or when a troop of actors are happy together, and I've seen this, um, there's so much love in the air, you know, you become a family, you really become a family. Um, and, um, then, if, if we could extend that out, if this was happening on mass, yeah. um, I think we'd have a much more peaceful, tolerant world, um, where you know people are understanding of others. I think music helps us, or performing arts in general, helps us to understand diversity, yeah. diverse th- not just physical diversity, but yeah. diversity of thought. Um, yeah diversity of cultures. Um, so yeah, I, I really do think the, this is the, maybe not the answer, but one of the great answers to, the, uh, <laughs> the, to the question of, to the question of society and what we do moving forward. Yeah. Um, the, and you, of course these programs are generally cut, you know we're seeing the reverse happening yeah. nationwide. Um I have a friend who lives in Norway and it's the reverse. Yeah. Um where you know music is really really um uh, cherished and it's a, it's 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 a it's a part of everyone's life whether they become a professional musician or not. Um it's a part of their lives. Um so yeah making music with, with people is breaking bread in a different way, you know? Um, and there's nothing as beautiful as that. Um, so, uh, and I think that like we, we can, we can take it to whatever level we want to. That's the great thing with it. Yeah. Um, we can, whatever we bring to to this, Um, will only be enhanced more by the power of music. Um, Whether uh, it's uh, spiritual ideas, whether it's some scientific ideas, all of it can exist as one. All of it, you know, music is about, I think, harmony, ultimately, you know. It's um, at its core, what, what are the elements of music? They are all elements that when uh, music is properly organized, these elements are working together in harmony. Mm-hmm. They may be, there may be purposeful uh, dissonances and discordant uh, movements within that, but, but that itself is a kind of harmony um, that, you know, everything's intended to be working together. I'm not aware of any music where people try to take the disparate elements of music and say, okay, let's make them not work together as much as (laughs) possible. So even at its, uh, you know, if we look at music from from a very specific perspective, it has lessons which we can use to apply to other facets of life.
0: Yeah, I agree. there's even more now i'm just i'm keeping track i keep track of my fingers the things that i want to say
1: um i'm I'm probably going off into all kinds of crazy
0: it's good no i just i keeping tabs well i was just thinking of you know another thing when you were saying diversity and that's what i was thinking of when you first started to speak of how who your gods were right all black men in the jazz world and how I, I too, I, I wanted to, I, I didn't understand why I couldn't be in Alvin Ailey's revelations, like, which is, that's my dream (laughs) is to be Judith Jamison. And, and, and it's interesting because yeah, maybe there aren't other worlds that necessarily have that. um, I hate using that term of like being colorblind, but we, there's so much more acceptance. I think it of more acceptance of, of, the diversity you know I embraced it I think I'm really grateful for being in the the art world because it was it was all embraced and I know there are lots of politics and we don't have to go into that I know there's things that make it all dirty and ugly too but for the as the essence of what we're talking about the art form um, there was there's a sense of of more of that embracing the diversity
1: yeah and again the 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 dirty side of this, the politics, the business side of this can be really horrific. Um, I've I've spent most of my life trying to gradually cut that away and live with music as more of a pure expression of that diversity. Um, But yeah, excuse me, when I was young, all those jazz musicians, they were just like, wow. If only I could be like those guys. And women too. When I say guys, I mean both. Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, um, so many others.
0: Uh, We were dancing to Nina Simone today in class. (laughs) Trouble. Yeah.
1: And the, you know, pretty quickly, um, you know, if we look back at jazz's history, You have artists like Benny Goodman, who, in his uh, small group, you know, worked with with black artists, too. Um, So, yes, there was segregation, but also there wasn't. Um, You had someone like George Gershwin, uh, you know, a white Jewish man who would go to the um, speakeasies and to the Cotton Club and try and learn about this the America's classical music. Mm-hmm. And so a great conversation is now flowing back and forth between the races. Yeah. Um, and I think for them, it did become, uh, I'll use the word, I guess, colorblind. Mm-hmm. I don't like that term either. Yeah. But um, perhaps uh, uh, just a deep appreciation uh, for one another was mm-hmm. developed. and. Uh, anytime we can live in a state of awe, we're gonna do well, I think. Um, because that is then, uh, helps us to remain inspired about whatever we're doing, um, and remain in a state of then being an eternal student. Um, if if we can always stay in a state of awe, we're gonna always wanna learn about others. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully, that will mean crossing any boundaries fearlessly, you know. So not thinking about, well, um, this is music that is the domain of one group of people, and I'm not allowed to go there. Yeah. Um, it helps us to cross those boundaries in beautiful ways. Um, and I, I guess um, growing up with jazz and and uh, those those particular artists um, it certainly didn't hurt as I went out into the world and met other people who did not have that experience um, and we've all had well maybe not all of us but I, I guess I can only speak for myself but this <laughs> is where I've been around people who are bigoted and um, who hold uh, I think reprehensible or repugnant beliefs and um, Sometimes I've had that opportunity to speak to them and to try to share a little bit of my own story. And in some cases, um, have some success with that too and help that other person to just open their mind and think a little bit differently. Um, I always try to enter any situation with total humility. And so sometimes that helps to break the ice. And helps others to feel like you know it's not going to be combative. Yeah. It's not going to be it's not going to be an adversarial relationship. There's nothing pugilistic about it. You know, it just sharing who I am. Sometimes helps others to then see the, the uh, maybe some of the blessings of of my own story. Um, and of course, vice versa. You know, I'm constantly learning from others. Um, but I've been, I, I feel very lucky to have actually come across in my life some people who um, really held some reprehensible beliefs, and to talk to them about it, and um, and actually help to change that. Yeah. You know, so
0: it's a, <laughs> I think its important. Yeah. I was just before we got on, there was a video that somebody posted on Facebook of um, a black woman telling a story of being in the grocery store um, with her, I guess it was her sister-in-law who was mixed, but she was, you know, looked very much like a white woman and had written the check to the cashier and having Chad and, and, you know, the woman didn't question her. And then here she is this black woman writing the check. And then all of a sudden she needed two IDs and looking up for the bad checklist. And, questioning it and then her you know her I think it was her sister-in-law came in and you know who looked white and spoke up for her and how you know that was there she was basically saying how when we have this space that thing of quote-unquote the white privilege of our role and that sounds like what you're you're doing you you have done throughout your whole life is just having those moments of um humility as you said and I often think of um there is a quote and I'll have to find it, but one of my friends shared it with me of, of a fist and right. That kind of that fist of fighting, but then how much more space and, and space for acceptance and love if you just opened your hands, right. Instead of fisting and who is actually hurting when you're making the fist, but then when you release it, who is actually experiencing that release is you.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's beautiful. Absolutely.
0: I don't. I didn't say it as lovely as it. it the quote actually is, but you get the gist of it.
1: Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, that's that's what I seek to do. Um, uh, the the arc of my life has has been uh, one where I've I've tried to become more in tune with myself. But in order to do that, I need to be more in tune with others. Yeah, um, you know, because because we are one. I I don't exist, uh, uh, you know, in, in this insular world unless I want to, and then I'm kind of, you know, that's that would be a very bad place for me to be. Yeah. Um, so, um, I I wish that. Uh, I think humility is a really, really big part of it, a really big part of it. Um, And also try not to to speak for others. Um, uh, And that's difficult sometimes to do as we express our own opinions. Like, um, you know, I've been talking about American Indians in this conversation, but I don't speak for them. Uh, I hope that. I, I'm not appropriating anything uh, in their culture, but what I, when I think about my experience um, with their culture, um, and, and again I'm speaking general because there are, it's not like it's all one tribe. There are differences, right, um, and individual traits, etc. But um, the overall message tends to be the same. You know, be nature based. Um, uh, I like the idea of you know, a matriarchal society um, and I like the idea of honesty as, as one of the pillars of American Indian societies um, because these were oral cultures and, right, and so if you were dishonest then the, the story of the people is getting lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really important part of it that I've taken away and humility too the warrior doesn't come back to the village after hunting and brag and brag about you know Mm. what amazing warrior they were Mm. and a lot of these medicine men speak of this in in these books and people have talked to in real life too Uh, the idea of being you know of humility generosity being very generous with others thinking of others first i mean that's not against the idea of put your mask on first so that you can serve others Mm -hmm. but um, like uh, stories of of um, those who are ill or aged or the very young um, in our minds and in our hearts we think about their needs um, before we uh, think about aggrandizing our own lives and uh, and the the bounty, whatever bounty the tribe has first goes to those most in need um, and um in the old ways and i've i 've tried to learn from those lessons um, also some really neat uh concepts about you know the, w- which go into a more spiritual direction, just from their language itself there 's no word for time mm-hmm There's also no word for goodbye. Yeah. You know, and what does that really mean? So I, um, we all are going through the cycle of life, but are we really bound by time? I'm not sure. Um, who knows? That's a
0: whole other podcast.
1: (laughs) That's the mystery of it all. Um, and in my, in my work, the, um, Project between the sand hills and the sea and I'm moving crossing the pond over to Europe to England now And the story of Vera Brittain and that project Which took me two years to write. I had all these incredible Experiences as I was writing this which made me feel a connection to her and to her story Um, And I read her diary which felt like I was interloping somehow, Mm -hmm. but she herself um, Uh, wanted people, you know, she had uh, submitted these materials uh, to this archive towards the end of her life and wanted her life to be known, not so she could be celebrated, but she felt that her story could have lessons for others Mm -hmm. Um, and that what her generation went through, the so-called lost generation uh, and these these horrific world wars where millions and millions of people suffered and millions died, um, that there's lessons there um, for humanity and how we treat one another. Um, And her story is absolutely profound to me. Um, And in thinking about my own life, which is very privileged by comparison, um, uh, she she writes a lot about loss and suffering. And so, you know, I, I, I got thinking a lot about loss. What is loss? What does that really mean? Um, should we feel such attachment to others? Um, how do we process loss? Um, and she has some very poignant ideas on that. Um, and it came at the, just at the right time in my life when i was ready to receive those ideas mm-hmm. i was open to those ideas and it and i think it crosses the generations when i was reading her diary from you know entries from 1913 and 1914 i'm thinking my gosh this sounds like something i i'm, I'm i felt yesterday
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know so again we're we're feeling a connection between the generations and we are all one right um it doesn't even though we have completely different backgrounds um and her story i'm also a huge huge proponent of of equality right and women's rights it's something i'm very passionate about um my grandmother was my hero Mm -hmm. um my mother's mother mine too yeah she (laughs) taught me so much and really but she was like the spark that got me really thinking about um women and what women go through and i don't speak for women and i never could or would yeah um i i also recognize that you know we, we we are all in this together and um Vera's story is, is beautiful to me in that um, she was one of the early feminists um, uh, and growing up in in a, a very strict Edwardian um, culture was very difficult for her. And she battled her father to mm. go to school, to go to Oxford, and then as soon as she gets, she finally wins this battle. I mean it's a battle. <laughs> he finally uh, says, okay, go, you can go, go to school. And um, so she enrolls and she gets in to Somerville College in, in Oxford, but then war breaks out. Mm. And suddenly this, this, this personal desire for her own, um, her own intellectual pursuits seemed secondary and didn't seem in line or in step with what was now needed in society. And so she completely changes course and joins the Voluntary Aid Detachment Civilian Nursing Corps Mm -hmm. and is deployed in France and sees and witnesses unbelievable suffering. And she didn't have to do that. Of course, there were thousands of other nurses too who had a similar story, Mm -hmm. but I'm moved by that. That's, That's a selfless gesture to care for others to put others first. And then I think she was ultimately rewarded, although she suffered a lot of loss. She eventually went back to Oxford, finished her degree, and wrote very poignantly about her generation, as poignantly, if not more so, than any of her male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, So she really helped me, through her writing, she really helped me to understand uh, I, I think again, humbly, uh, perhaps what what women in her era had to endure, what they had to go through, and perhaps that also still extends to what's happening now for women. Yeah, it's um, echoed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so really, my my newest works and the the one one I wrote a companion piece, a shorter piece for her friend, Winifred Holtby. So now that project's done. There's, I see them really as one,
0: mm.
1: one project, but that's m- my humble effort to honor women and the contributions of women. Beautiful.
0: So. Wait, how, and how did you find her? Because we we spoke a little bit about this name, specifically Vera.
1: Yeah, how did, well, I
0: found- how did, I should say, how did Vera find you? <laughs>
1: Well, I was, I was thinking, I had a concert at Carnegie Hall, and that's a really big event, and I wanted to write an additional piece of music that would be the most special piece of music for this most special of concerts, yeah. but I thought, gosh, I don't know what to write. I was almost panicking. What am I going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. so, how
0: much time did you have to prepare for it?
1: Uh, I had about six months, so I wasn't okay. too worried, but, so. um, yeah, um, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just sit in my room and write about me. I'm bored writing. I don't want to write about me. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, they say write what you know, but I say write what you want to know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I started exploring. I came across a poem by uh, Rilke
0: mm-hmm.
1: called Two Solitudes. And it was ab- about, jeez, uh, I should have reviewed the poem before this conversation. But it's okay. it actually about um, two people finding out that there's a shared love, but there's also a distance between them. And there's, they, they realize that they're, they are two individuals um, that that are trying to come together as one, um, but that's a, difficult, um, that's a difficult thing to do. That's a difficult um, um, manifestation of, of these two souls. Yeah. Anyway, and that didn't feel right, And but that was sort of the beginning of the project. And as I was mulling over this poem, looking for inspiration, I happened to turn on the TV and there was a BBC movie about this woman Vera and her life story and I don't know why but I was holding this book in my hand and I just started watching it for about two or three minutes and I just dropped the book like in a state of I don't know like shock almost like how did I not know about this how did I not know about her and it was like instantly I felt like drawn to her story okay just instantly drawn to it Again, that's the mysteries of this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think she, she was and continues to be a great teacher through her writings, through through her work. Um, I've learned a, a great deal. Um, she, uh, I, I really can't uh, say enough about it. Uh, again though, I think I was at the right time in my life where I was ready to listen. I was yeah. ready to really just be the student and listen to her. Um, in this case, for me, she's the master. I am the student and mm-hmm. um, uh, she's taught me so much and I'm, I'm sort of loosely working on a book about this, about this piece and how coming across her story has had such an incredible impact on my life yeah. um, and changed, really changed the way I think about myself and about others. Um, not so radically, I didn't radically become something different, but helped to smooth the edges. Helped for me to find a way to, on a, on a much deeper, more profound level, connect with others. Help me to heal she, her work profoundly was profoundly healing for me because i've been suffering a lot because of some personal issues um you know a, a marriage that broke up um and still going through a grieving process in my life and i don't know she just was there at the right time and she's really been a, a healing factor in my life and it's interesting because this is someone i i never met right yeah. She. She died two years before I was born. Um, She's from a completely different time, a different country. And yet I feel such a connection to her. And I think that's the power of, of music. I think music has been a way for me to, to better understand. It's, it's a language that I've been able to use to, to better um, understand her story. Um, And, um, so yeah, I, am I'm, I'm grateful. I, that's another thing. I try to live in a state of gratefulness, being grateful for, for things like that. Five years ago, I would have never said, yeah, I'm going to come across a British writer from the Edwardian era and she's going to completely change my life and help me to heal, help me to, to grow intellectually and spiritually. I would have never said that right? Just, yeah. How has this happen? But that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of being alive yeah. is those are those things, those unexpected, beautiful turns and twists. Sometimes we have unexpected um, tragedies too, but you know, uh, we have unexpected beauty as well. And I think writing that music has really been a kind of a savior for me at a time when previously I was feeling pretty low
0: yeah well a couple things there. Is, I mean one is you had because the person you are you were open to that that mystery of Vera right you were able to lean into the mystery of her mm-hmm. and some somebody else who isn't so open they could have just seen her that on TV and not thought much about it then okay how am I gonna write this music right but you are just opening up for all sorts of inspiration and and really leaned into that mystery and here you thought I don't know if that was what your initial thought was oh she's going to lead me into this music piece musical piece but then there's also this healing that came personally on your own spiritual journey and um, do you mind sharing a little bit about Vera that our interaction about Vera and and what well,
1: Sure. I, I mean, I've, I've had multiple dreams where uh, I'm not, not when I say multiple, like uh, three dreams um, where I've kind of felt her presence. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, um, (laughs) it's again, it's powerful. I tend to be, um, I tend to dream a lot. Um, I tend to have lucid dreams and I, I, I do feel that there's meaning in dreams. Um, I think that there are different types of dreams as well. Um, And, you know, I'm learning to recognize different types of dreams. So yeah, with Vera, uh, her um, appearing in my dreams, um, and in a way where she's, you know, being very loving and caring. Again, that's, that's powerful to me. Um, and it, it seems to, uh, help me to realize that these connections are mysterious. Um, we just keep coming back to that. the mystery. I'm open. I'm open to that. Yeah. I'm open to that. Um,
0: and I think that you had, you wrote me because I think I led a meditation about a light.
1: Oh, right. We were yeah.
0: meditating on the candle, I believe.
1: Yeah, well, yes. And in this dream, she had held her hand kind of over my my body. Oh, ah,
0: right. And her, we, had, we were doing the meditation was this light in, within like the solar plexus, yeah.
1: And um, I, I had the dream before learning of your your, um, your, your uh, story there. But um, I, yes. Yeah, so in the dream, her hand was like glowing and she was standing there and she just placed it over me. And I was feeling very anxious and the anxiety just went away, just, yeah. just went away.
0: Yeah, and so you, you shared that, yeah, you shared that with me. And then I had just changed my name, my last name, and yeah. so doing all this research on names and i think when you right. think when you said oh vera you told me a little bit about this and i just happened to look up vera and i wrote back and i said oh vera means faith and then you had this moment of ah
1: well yeah because um f- faith is one of these words that i've always loved and i surround myself quite literally with the word faith
0: yeah
1: a cute little pillow i don't know where i got it <laughs> I'm looking at it right now, and it's just faith. Yeah, tiny thing that just has a little loop, and you put it on a doorknob or something. Yeah, I have this faith rock that I that I got at, and I was drawn to this little silly little rock that said faith on it, and I and I got a few other things, you know, in in a dollar store. We buy things we don't really need. Yeah. (laughs)
0: but you needed it
1: but I but I so I I left the the store and I had a bag with some various stuff in there and the the little faith rock and when I got to my car I opened the back hatch of my car and I put the bags in there and then I was looking for the rock in the bag and it wasn't there the rock was gone it was absolutely missing totally gone and so then I, I thought oh there must be a hole in one of the bags and so now i'm wandering around looking very silly in the parking lot <laughs> looking for faith rock and i never found it right so then i kind of forgot about it and about eight or nine days later i walked outside and on my porch looking up at me was the same faith rock isn't that crazy?
0: It's amazing. It's not crazy. It's you leaning into the mystery.
1: Yeah, I don't mean... Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the faith to me is something that uh, I've always um, cherished that idea. Not in some strict orthodoxy of, a, of religion, but in, in kind of my own definition. Faith in myself, faith in humanity, faith in the universe, faith in you. Yeah. Faith in my children, faith, faith in all that I love. Um, and that's important to me. Um, faith is uh, connected to that compassion and to love and to trust. Trust, I think, is really important. Um, I, I'm always coming back to trust. If I, if I live a life where I'm, I'm, I, I'm putting up walls and I'm not trusting anyone, then that's a very hollow life. And I'm not going to f- feel the beauty of the relationships of being around others. Um, so, and sometimes we get burned, you know, but um, I still think it's important to trust others. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and both kind of spiritually and in a very literal way, you know, to trust that most people, you um, have good intentions I've not come across uh, you know I've traveled the world as a musician I've come across some sleazy people for sure in the music business Mm -hmm. but I really think most people I've known are generally good people. Um, I I think there's generally good people out there in the world Um, well-intentioned people and I, I'm drawn to that. So yeah, the concept of faith and then Vera's name meaning faith, that's all connected to me. That all fits just perfectly. The when I wrote, um, finished that first movement of uh, the piece dedicated to her, um, I was really happy that I had finally kind of birthed this, right, it had finally come out. <laughs> Um, and I was really happy with it um, because it felt like selfless music, that I was the conduit for this, but it really, you know, this is, I helped to form and shape the music, but the music uh, is beyond me, that I was just the lucky participant in the creation of this music. And when I finished it, I I was feeling very um, pleased about that. And I went for a walk about five or ten minutes after I had completed that music and I went into the down a familiar path into this beautiful wooded area and there's a place I go to where I usually stop where I think it's very beautiful and it's just kind of a lovely spot you know when we're walking in nature we may if if we know the area there may be certain spots where we like to pause for a moment right yeah Particular place on that particular day I had just finished this music I arrived to this little special spot and the most incredible thing was there two World War one era stretchers were up against the up against trees what? I, oh this is wild you know um, here I am writing this music about a World War 1 nurse really? and I just complete it and I walk into this little special wooded area and I see these vintage World War 1 era stretchers just sitting there.
0: What? That's even that's so bizarre.
1: Is it bizarre? Yes. So <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Is it total coincidence maybe? But again, it it felt like ah, uh, something's happening here. This is really fascinating. Yeah. That's a fascinating thing to me. Um, right? It's just... Oh, the, gosh, yeah. <laughs> you can't write that. There's something so inexplicable about that. Yeah. Um, you know, someone who's, you know, totally scientifically minded, a psychologist would say, well, that's a beautiful coincidence. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, someone just happened to set those there and uh, for some reason, and when I went back again, they were gone.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, but, it, but that was the first time I thought, there's something here in this music that's making me feel a connection to something greater than myself. Yeah. So that was the
0: confirmation, yeah. Vera was there saying, you got this.
1: It, it felt like that. Yeah. It, whether I'm just imagining it or not, it's, it did feel like that. You know? It was
0: exactly what you needed to feel that. Right, to have faith in
1: it. Right, that was, that was part of the faith. Yeah. And in that moment I knew, I felt deeply that I was on the right path. Yeah. I, when, when writing music just as, as a related thought, often people will ask me, well, how do you know when something's done? Or how, like if, if you write a, a play or a piece of music and you give it to five different readers or five different listeners, they're gonna come back with five different responses. Well, I liked this, I didn't like that. Maybe you should change this. This isn't so good. How about trying this? And I've sort of stopped doing that in my life now because I write to the point where I've, I feel that something, there's a inner voice that's telling me um, this is, this is right now this is correct the music is right if i if i take away one note now it's not correct anymore yeah but now the music is whole it is complete and when i feel that whether it's good or bad is not for me to judge but i know that the music is as complete as it's going to be and then it's ready to go out into the world and the experiences, like seeing those stretchers was a confirmation for me mm-hmm. that, okay, it's, it's complete. It's ready to go out into the world.
0: Yeah.
1: So stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's again,
0: it's just you leaning into the mystery and being open and curious. You could have very well not been connected, you know, to the bigger scope of things and kept walking past that little, that little spot right? But something, you felt something calling you, and you leaned into that, and oh, and then here it is, right? The big reveal.
1: Yes, absolutely. We feel those callings uh, subconsciously, we don't know them, that they're happening sometimes, until it's finally revealed. It's like, wow, why did I come out here today? I, I guess there was a reason. To me, there's, it's just too, it's too concrete to just laugh it off there's something there
0: no there is something there that was Vera giving you a little wink that's right <laughs> Thumbs up. yeah um yeah so the the last thing I just want to ask you because this is something we've been exploring in our classes this week was find finding the truth fi- finding where truth sits in your body and Ooh. it's similar to what you were just saying of knowing that the, the piece is complete and so would you mind speaking to that if you have any sort of confirmation? What does that feel like in your body if, if, you, if you know? It's just, I think it, everybody feels something different, but yeah.
1: That there's a feeling of, um, of quiet. Um, my internal dialogue naturally quiets. In terms of my body itself, um, my heart rate feels even. I don't feel anxiety. I'm someone who is prone to anxiety. Um, and when, when I feel that a piece is complete or, or music, the music I'm writing has an element of truth to it. Um, yeah, I think in, in my center, like in my heart, I'm not feeling jumpy. There's yeah. no jumpiness. Um, my hands aren't going, ah, now what, right? Yeah. There's a total sense of calm, total calm. Um, my neurons are firing exactly how they need to. My body is in, is in alignment with itself. Um, and often, usually in those times too, I can, I can just lie down and fall into a very restful sleep. There's nothing fitful about that rest, period. Um, and what else? Um,
0: well, what you were just, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
1: I guess that's it, really. Just that um, I feel a, a stillness physically. I don't feel like I'm, um, that, that anxiety is, has dissipated fully at that mm-hmm. time.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah, when you were speaking, it reminded me of something else you said earlier, and I'm not quite sure what it was, but I had this image of you. You said something about attuning yourself, being attuned to—I can't remember what the context was—but and then just coming back to what you just said, I was just in, in the, imagining yourself almost like the tuning fork, right? Yeah. Hearing that, okay, right? Everything is tuned. My instrument is tuned.
1: Absolutely, everything is vibration, right? Yeah, it's yeah, with vibrations. And um, w- so, yeah, it's, it's a sense of equilibrium and balance within the body itself. Um, sometimes writing music um, can be painful in the body. Um, in writing the Vera piece, I, I really had to go deep into thinking about her brother's death, mm-hmm. uh, her fiance's death, two other friends of hers who died, who died pretty gruesome deaths too. on the battlefield so i had to imagine war and that was very unsettling but i knew it was part of the process i had to go through that i had to feel some of the anger i had to feel the deep sadness or i couldn't genuinely write about it but when i got to the end then the peacefulness came yeah
0: you know Yeah, that's beautiful. And it does, now I can really see how you got, what you experienced grief. She was your way into experiencing grief, the anger, the sorrow through her story. You, you got to experience your own grief.
1: Yeah, it helps us to, to deal with our own grief and you really have to go in deep to do this too. I mean, there were times reading her, her words where my eyes were like filled with tears Thinking mm-hmm. about her, you know, certain moments in her life where there was extreme sorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, when she lost her fiance, for example. And the way she writes about it is like, oh, it just gives you shivers. Just, you can feel the pain. It's just so alive, still, really. Um, but I think if she were here now, I, I think she would also say that the the journey of her life was learning to live with that and eventually enter a, a place of peace herself. Yeah. Um inner peace and outer peace. She she um she spent most of her life after the war in pursuit of, of peace, you know, in the world. Literally you know, no wars kind of thing. Yeah. But I think also in pursuit of her own inner peace. Yeah.
0: Um
1: and aren't we all well at least many of us on that same kind of journey it's a it's it's a universal journey i think that's the what um campbell called the you know the the hero's journey
0: mm-hmm. right
1: we we're there there's inner chaos arthur miller talked about as a playwright why did he write because there's inner chaos he's trying to make sense of that inner chaos yeah. and he was going to write because there was so much inner chaos that he, he felt compelled to write to to make sense of that inner chaos. So maybe that's part of the journey too, is to understand that the pain, the suffering, the loss, but to move on a on a path that ultimately leads to that place where we we can we can find that inner peace and inner strength, that fortitude, the courage, the bravery to to um, walk through our lives and know that there still may, may be more pain awaiting us, but that we can handle it, we can do it, we can do we it. Can, we can get past it. You know, we have the power to transcend pain.
0: I think we have to end right there <laughs> because that wraps up a lot. Yeah. Where we're at collectively right now is that we can do it and we can transcend, yeah. transcend this pain. Um, and I think we answered how is through music. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> We solved the problems of the world.
1: If only, but um, that's just the way I do it. Yeah. Again, w- with humility, that's my approach. Yeah. Um, and there are other ways too. Yeah, I just think if love is at the center of it, I think we have a we have a fighting chance to, to keep going, keo, right? Keep going, um, and uh, and face pain and hardship and sorrow, and and uh, still be be the the giver of light we always want to I always want to be a force for good which I think is a force for light yeah you know, the light anyway
0: okay. well thank you so much for your light Eric and
1: thank your you.
0: time even though there's right. no time as we're experiencing uh yeah is there anything else that you want to share or is there how can we find you if if people are interested in hearing your music
1: well, you can go to my website, ericstarmusic.com. Okay. And there's all kinds of information reviews and uh, some other interviews and uh, information about my, my records and projects and all of this stuff. Okay, so good. It's all and, and books I've written and stuff like that.
0: Awesome. Oh, awesome. And that's all it. We can find it through the rabbit hole of your website.
1: That's right. It's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but yes. Yeah.
0: That's good. Okay, good. So I'll make sure I put that also in the show notes here. That's,
1: That's really very cute. kind of you. You're yeah. very kind and thoughtful, and and thank you uh, so much for having me. It really means a lot.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for starting the conversation, and thanks Facebook out there. I don't want to necessarily plug it, but
1: what you're doing is very powerful and very needed, and you you're very talented at what you do. You're very giving to others, and. Uh, I immediately was drawn to the authenticity of what you do. And so, so yeah. So again, it's it's my honor to speak with you and and, uh, we'll keep talking and all of that.
0: Yes, we will. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your space and your energy that you put out into this world, the light that you do. Thank you.
1: Thanks. All right. We'll talk soon.
0: Okay.